so glad he could join us this morning. And he's been here a few times, but he's one of those young, emerging prophets, prophetic voices, I believe, to this nation and to the church. So just welcome Jeremiah Johnson. Turn him loose. Go for it, man. Thanks for coming. All right. Testing. Can you all hear me? All right. Well, it's great to be with you all. We had a, such a powerful time in Fort Mill. Was anybody able to be there down at the conference this weekend? A couple of you. Uh, powerful time uh, when the word got out that I was going to be in Fort Mill. We had about 25 or so churches that wanted me to come preach this morning. And I really felt like I was supposed to come here. So I'm here. <laughs> I love relationship. I love the kingdom of God. I honor David and his wife and this community that I believe God is preparing for a harvest. Are you ready for the harvest? If not, I came to the wrong place. But I believe that God is readying you all for the harvest. I just flew back in from Peru. I was down in South America last weekend and part of this week and uh, just seeing uh, hundreds of souls come into the kingdom of God. I was preaching at a young adult youth conference. Over 300 of them not only gave their lives to the Lord, but were water baptized in their clothes. Just jump, jump down in the waters with me, clothes and everything. And cried and wept and gave their lives to Jesus. And I love the transformative power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, they cleaned us out mostly in Fort Mill. There are a few products left. Uh, I do a, a new prophetic word each year. Uh, this one for 2018 is called Cancer, Baby Boomers, Trump, and the Nations. And there were several very significant dreams and encounters that I've had uh, for the nation. A surprising dream about Donald Trump. 2018 is the year of the baby boomer. If you were born between 1946 and 1964 uh, or close, something is bubbling. And <clears throat> you, um, you, you need to get this word. I really believe, I think we might have 10 or so left, but you need to get this word. This will empower you. Who can I give this to for free? Just bless you. Here you go. You sat, sat in the right place. Um, a new book that I've written recently, I See a New Apostolic Generation. I was on Sid Roth. I've written a book, I See a New Prophetic Generation. You know, the Bible says uh, first apostles, second prophets, and then teachers. And it doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with pastors or evangelists, but I believe God is restoring and highlighting the ministry of the apostle and prophet in the body of Christ. And so um, I just, I'm almost done with I see a new teaching generation. We're doing all five. But uh, this one is about a dream that I had where I went to heaven and stood before the throne of God, and He gave me a, a message for the church. And so you don't have to be an apostle or involved in apostolic ministry. If you're believing God for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, new wine and a new wineskin, what's coming? This book is for you. I think that we have a few copies left as well. Who can I gift this to for free? 
and the turquoise maybe if yeah is that green or whatever you call it bless you okay amen amen all right if you're breathing shout amen if you're breathing shout amen all right we're going to dive into the word this morning who brought your sword who brought your word i preached last night down in fort mill about the word of god being restored in this generation as in the days of josiah I'm believing for a third great awakening in America. I'm based down in Lakeland, Florida. Uh, planted a church, an elder there. Love the local church. Love what God is doing. I want to want to give a prophetic picture this morning of what I see God doing in the church, preparing us for a harvest. Uh, many of us know that a harvest as big as some have said one billion souls, one billion is coming across the globe. And if you study awakening and revival history, it always comes in two forms. Awakening always hits in two forms. One, awakening hits the church. And then awakening hits the world around us. Reformation in Moravian Falls has to begin with reformation at the gathering. Hello. The, the revival, the harvest, the awakening that's coming in our cities has to come in our churches. It has to come in our personal lives. We're, we're not waiting for them to come. God's waiting for us to get right. He's waiting for us to get awake. So we've got to get ready. I believe in the harvest. I believe in praying for souls. But how many of you know the primary mission of the church is not to win the lost? I'm going to stretch you a little bit. <laughs> the primary mission of the church is not to win the loss. The primary mission of the church is to make disciples. Don't get me wrong. I'm all about winning souls. I'm all about the harvest. But what are you going to do when they come in here? There's more than just accepting Christ. The church has to become a place where we present every man and woman mature in Christ. That's the calling of the church is to, through preaching and teaching and discipleship, mature us to the place where we're presented before God on that great day, mature in Him. So we've got we to gotta raise up the evangelists. We've got to raise up the soul winners out there. But in here, we're discipling. We're going deeper in God. We're encountering Jesus. So a harvest is coming. Can you say harvest? harvest? It's coming. You can count on it. There's going to be an outpouring of the Holy Spirit in these last days. But it's important that we as the church get ready for the harvest. Can you say ready? Ready. That's my prayer this morning. Lord, would you make whoever's here ready? God, would you prepare our hearts? Would you give us grace to deal with our junk? There's a lot of junk that's coming. A lot of messed up people, a lot of dysfunction, drunks, drug addicts, fornicators, adulterers. I mean, there's all sorts of stuff that's coming, but how can we deliver people if we don't get delivered? All right, now, I've been given a prophecy. Here's the prophecy. The fear of the Lord is about to drive young people back to the church. Amen, that's good. But here's the second part. 
if the folks that are coming don't find a family, they'll come in the church and leave. There's a harvest coming. But if they don't find a family, if they don't find moms and dads, if they don't find brothers and sisters, if they don't find healthy and whole people ready, we won't be able to help them. So we're living in a, in a critical hour. We're, we're living in an important hour where I believe that you're here this morning because we have to look internally. This is not the most seeker sensitive message this is kind of a let's deal with our junk this morning let's let's deal with some things that happened in our childhood let's let's get free this morning so that we can prepare for the harvest let's let's have awakening in the church so that we can be ready for the awakening that's coming to these hills amen god's more interested in changing us than using us All right, let's pray. We grab the hand of the person next to you. Father, thank you for this gathering. Thank you for bringing us here together as a family of believers. And God, I'm, I'm so excited. I'm grateful for the harvest of souls that's coming. Thank you for the young people, the old people that are on the verge of an encounter that will change their life forever. Lord, we lift up these hills. We lift up the surrounding areas. God, we say, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, we just decree divine visitation that the back of addiction would be broken in this area. We release your angels, your ministering spirits to come and awaken. Come and awaken the fire that's in these hills. Lord, we believe you. We Stand in faith for things that our eyes haven't seen and our ears haven't heard yet. Lord says, don't grow discouraged, church. Don't give in to depression. Don't give in to weariness. I just feel like the Lord wants to break off discouragement over this church. Wants to break off weariness. Do not grow weary in doing good. For at the proper time, there will be a harvest. There will be fruit. I just speak strength to this house. I speak encouragement over the gathering. I speak comfort over the gathering to fulfill the mission. Lord, I thank you in this house. They're not only making a difference in these hills. They're making a difference in the, the nations of the earth. We thank you for the harvest that's coming, not only in these hills, but in the nations of the earth. Lord, we fix our eyes upon you. Lord, open up our hearts to hear the preaching of Your Word. Thank You that You love us too much to leave us the way that You found us. Thank You for Your love this morning, Father. In Jesus' name, Amen. If you have your Bible, your sword, would you turn to Genesis chapter 3? We're going to uh, begin uh, in the beginning. I think it's important. Uh, the title of this morning's message is called Overcoming Shame Through the Blood of Jesus. Overcoming Shame Through the Blood of Jesus. As I have uh, been talking with the Lord and, and asking Him, uh, what are some issues, what are some areas that we need to deal with, that we need to address 
as the church, as believers, before this harvest is coming, God has been talking to me quite a bit about shame. In fact, I'm going to be bold and say that I believe that the power of shame is at work in our churches. The power of shame is at work amongst believers, hindering what God is ultimately after, this thing called intimacy. Intimacy. You were born for intimacy. You were born for connection with God. I always cringe in the ministry world when people say I was born to preach. I was born to lead worship. I was born to play baseball. I was born, saints, what we were born for, especially in the ministry world, God help us, has nothing to do with a platform. You weren't born to preach. You were born to connect with God. You were born for intimacy. You were born for connecting with the Creator, the lover of our souls. We were born for intimacy. We were created for love and to be loved. I pray that the dream of your heart this morning is just to simply commune, to connect, to relate, to go deeper. Just to enjoy Him, to learn how to live between the, learn how to live before the audience of one. I believe the Lord, especially in the church, is delivering ministers from ministry addiction. People are, are addicted to leading this and doing that and everybody wants to be at the top except for people at the top. Really not that great. So I talk to so many young people, their sole ambition and dream in life is to do something with a microphone. To be the center of the tension. I'm telling you, God is delivering a generation of ministers from addiction to platforms. He's asking us to get off the platform and learn how to do intimacy with God and intimacy with one another. To me, the cross is that perfect example. Intimacy with God intimacy with one another you cannot say that you have a deep relationship with God if you do not have a deep relationship with people don't we love to get away with that in the prophetic circles I'm just floating away intimacy with God and getting revelations and I spend no time with anybody your relationship with God is only as deep as your relationship with people. That's challenging. Yeah, just broke that religious spirit's back. It's on the floor gagging. Come on, saints. You're only as intimate with God as you are intimate with people. How can you claim to love a God that you can't see and not have fellowship with your brothers and sisters whom you see? I'd love to get prophetic people around the world to learn how to love community, not just sit at their house all day. I don't know why I feel like saying this, but it's, it's, you know, like Facebook. It's like all the prophetic people, they don't even put their picture. It has to be some angel or some warrior or some, I'm like... That that's I probably just offended somebody. I mean, I want to see you. 
I want a friend request from a prophetic intercessory person. Like, I can see your face, but okay, I'm getting off track, but. Love it. Let's, let's, let's do love. Let's, let's do relationship. Let's get back to the foundation. And again, I'm saying all this because what's coming, a harvest that's coming, a broken, hurting generation is going to need real people who want to do real relationship, who want to do real love, who are willing to go there, who are not going to look down at them off of a platform, or we're going to get religious at them in a crowd and stick our noses up. We've we've got to give ourselves to intimacy. So we were born for intimacy. We were born for intimacy with God and intimacy with one another. But how many of you know that snake Satan... That liar, that deceiver, knew the power of intimacy. It was Satan's original attempt in the garden to orphan us from God as our Father. So let's look at this little sneaky snake. Genesis 3. Very familiar, but let's, let's read it again. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said, You shall not eat from any tree of the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat. But from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat from it and touch it or lest you die. And the serpent said to the woman, You surely shall not die. For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was more desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate. And she gave also to her husband with her and he ate. If you have a highlighter, a pen, an iPhone, I want you to underline verses 7 and 8 and 9 this morning. Then the eyes of both of them, Adam and Eve, were opened And they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid. Because I was naked, so I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, The woman which you have given to me, she gave from the tree, and I ate. We know this as the the fall of humanity. Adam and Eve were created with unlimited unhindered, full access to God Himself. They, God placed them in the Garden of Eden in a, it, almost like a, um, a, a state of, of ecstasy, if you will, a, a, a forest of enchantment, uh, not needing any, anything, anyone but God Himself. Perfect intimacy dwelt in the Garden. But Adam and Eve made a choice, they made a decision that has now affected all of humanity. They went from perfect intimacy with God to, in verse 7, 
Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves and made themselves one coverings. And then they hear the sound of the Lord God, and rather than an intimacy walking toward Him, now they're afraid of Him. I hope in some way this grips our hearts, because these are the effects, these are the consequences of sin that have forever plagued humanity and are still plaguing humanity. We were created for intimacy with God, to hear Him, to relate to Him. But now, because of sin, we are running away from Him. I call this the human dilemma. It says, the Lord said, where are you? And Adam said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid. Fear. I was naked. Shame. So I hid myself self-protection. If you're taking a couple of notes, here are the four main effects of sin that have the potential to operate in our lives. Number one, fear. It says that Adam and Eve were afraid of God. Fear entered the human race in the Garden of Eden. Fear is a consequence, it is an effect of our sinfulness. Because I was naked, shame entered humanity in the Garden of Eden. What is shame? Shame is the fear of being exposed. Shame is what fuels our compulsive commitment to hiddenness. So I hid myself. Number three is self-protection. Do you know that you and I are master self-protectors? Fear entered in, shame entered in, and then self-protection entered in. We are, ma- we are masters at masking who we really are. We have walls and we have arms up and the religious world is so good at self-protecting. How do I know that? We love to rationalize. We love to spiritualize. We love to minimize. I have come up with over 100 ways that we as humanity self-protect away from intimacy. If you've ever been in those dating and that love relationship, here's, here's, here's the thing. If they really know who I really am, will they still love me? I counseled a couple, a couple of months ago, they'd been married 45 years, having some issues, came in to see me for counseling, and we began to talk about their marriage and their life together 45 years, and it was apparent to me that there was a lot of shame going on in their marriage. And I looked at the woman and I said, ma'am, after 40-something years of marriage, what percentage would you say that you really know of your husband? She looked down, she started to cry, she said, maybe 25%. 
See, we assume just because someone's been married so long, just because we've known somebody that we really know the depths of them. See, this this word intimacy, it's into me you see. Intimacy. Into me you see. I'm, I'm not talking about superficiality. I'm not talking about shallowness. How are you? I'm good. I love Jesus. Goodbye. See, this this harvest that's coming, they are about to come bruised and broken and hurting and crushed. And they're going to literally come in and start the vomit. I mean, they're going to they're going to tell about their life, their story. And what are we going to do? So you can oh, I, I, I know shallow people when I see them because they give shallow answers. But aren't we good at this in the religious world? Our marriage is a wreck. We're hurting. We're broken. Sunday morning. All right. Put on your Sunday best. Act like everything's fine. Act like you've been delivered. Act like you've been set free and you just watched porn the night before. See, Jeremiah, not me. Jeremiah, the prophet of old, he brought this charge against Israel. And I believe that if there was ever a prophetic word for the church in this hour, here's the word of the Lord. Jeremiah said this, You are addressing the wounds of my people superficially. You are saying peace, peace when there is no peace. Maybe it's just because I shepherd people. Maybe it's because I preach in 35 churches and conferences a year. But, beloved, I'm telling you, the body of our Lord is broken. I know we'd like to believe we're farther along than we really are. I know we like to believe that everybody can just come down to the altar and get delivered in three seconds and get slain in the Spirit and feel the goosebumps and, oh, glory, hallelujah. I believe in instant deliverance. I believe in the power of God. I believe in the cross. But, you know, for a generation that's coming, our good church services aren't, aren't going to be enough. I mean, there, there's some, some people in this room right now. You've been sitting on some stuff for 40 years. The, the power of shame has been so active in your life. You've not told anyone that you were molested at eight. All effects of our sinfulness, intimacy. We were created for intimacy. Intimacy with God. Lord, come into me and see everything. He knows that. Why not? He knows every hair in our head. He knows when we sit and when we rise. He perceives our thoughts from afar. He knows our coming. He knows our going. Why not get intimate with God? But my other question is, why not get intimate with one another? Why not actually have lasting Deep. You know, healthy relationships require two things if you're taking notes. Number one, trust. And number two, vulnerability. 
See, if we're going to have a healthy marriage, if we're going to have healthy relationships, we can't get there without trust and without vulnerability. But here's where we get caught. Here's the definition of vulnerability. Are you ready? Capable of being wounded. Are we loving people at such a depth that they're capable of wounding us? Or are we really good at self-protecting? And again, I'm, we're talking about marriages in this room right now. Not going to let them in. I don't care why. I don't trust them. Well, you married them. I still don't trust them. I'm only willing to go so far. I'm only willing to answer those questions. I've got things locked up inside of me. I've got doors that need to be open, but if I can only believe that He loves me. See, the love of the Father is coming for a generation. An intimate love that will set us free from all our pain, all our bitterness, all our unforgiveness. And as it flows through us, it's going to begin to flow out from around us. But church, I want to encourage you, the, the superficial the, the, the dysfunctional. You know the definition of dysfunction is this. Something happens and you act like it never happened. It's about nine out of ten marriages I see. Something happens. There's a blow up. There's a problem. There's a disagreement. Up, oh, just act like that didn't happen and keep. And the dysfunction, it piles up and it piles up to all of a sudden we've got a massive problem on our hands. Why? Because we just, too much shame, too much fear, too much self-protection. So there's this real dilemma in the garden. I'm trying to bring some understanding to humanity. And then here in verse 12, where am I at here? I fell off the map. Number four, so we've got fear, we've got shame, we've got self-protection, and here comes contempt. Oh, yeah, we love to blame. Look at Adam. Look at this guy. The man said, the woman, watch him, watch him. Oh, he's good and so, so are you. He, here, here it comes. The woman, one, that you, two. He just contempted the woman and he contempted God. The woman that you gave me made me eat it. Commit a sin. It was their fault. I'm a victim. I'm a byproduct of my parents. I'm a... And ultimately, saints, I believe all anger is directed toward God. Right here, Genesis 3, the effects of sinfulness that have been swimming their way through the course of the veins of humanity. Trying to paint a picture. Hope you're still hanging with me. Trying to paint a picture of the depravity of humanity of the human dilemma, of the plague that faces every single 
person that's born. It doesn't matter, American, Australian. I mean, this is, this is global. This is universal. This is, this is every single person, whether they think that they know it or not. Why are people doing drugs? Why are they drinking? Why are they having sex? Why are they addicted to bowling? Why are they addicted to hunting? Why are they addicted to... It all goes back to they're looking for intimacy. They're just looking for love and they're trying to get it in all the wrong places. I one time defined sin as an illegitimate attempt to meet a legitimate need. Sin is an illegitimate attempt to meet a legitimate need. A harvest is coming. A broken, dying world lives around us. They're seeking legitimate things, but getting them illegitimately. So for the sake of time, I, 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 I can't this morning get wrapped up in the, the fear and the contempt and the, the self-protection. But I want to talk a little bit about shame. Because I believe there could be some folks here this morning that the Lord wants to heal you from your shame. Here's how I'm going to define shame. Shame is the fear of being exposed. Shame is the byproduct of the feelings of embarrassment, humiliation. Shame is the fear of being known. Shame is what fuels our commitment to compulsive hiddenness, which sabotages our need for intimacy. Shame is the cold, icy blast felt by the human soul when he came out from underdependence, fellowship, and oneness with his Creator. I just cannot, I can't even fathom Adam and Eve, perfect intimacy, the presence of God, they sin, and then all of a sudden, the very Creator, the lover of their souls, at the sight and the sound of Him. And the truth is, because of sin, we've been backpedaling ever since. We've been backpedaling away from humanity, that fear, that shame, that guilt, that condemnation, that contempt. Isaiah 59, he refers back to the fall and he says, Your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. Your sins have, been, your sins have hidden His face from you so that He does not hear. Because of the fall in the Garden of Eden, because of the choices of humanity, we were put outside the Garden. We were lost. We were helpless. By Genesis 8, it says that every inclination of the humanity was to do evil. Depravity set in, the shame, the fear... The anger, the rage, the, the raging against God, the raging against one another. and All of these are open doors. Fear is an open door to the enemy. Shame is an open door to the enemy. Contempt, the blame game, it's an open door to the enemy. I want to talk a few minutes if you, if you have your Bibles. Are you with me this morning? Is this okay? 
Turn to Zechariah chapter 3. We're, we're going somewhere. So these are open doors. Shame is an open door to the enemy. We talk a lot about the character of God, which I believe is great, but I believe the church needs a fresh wake-up call to the character of Satan. The book of Zechariah is after Second Opinions 2, which as I've traveled, I've realized is a book of the Bible these days. All right, Zechariah, right after Hezekiah there. I'm just kidding again. Okay, Zechariah, right after Haggai. All right, Zechariah 3. All right, so we have the Satan and his craftiness in the garden. Then let's, let's take a look here in Zechariah 3. Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord. And what's Satan doing? He's standing at his right hand to accuse him. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. Indeed, the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and standing before the angel. And he spoke and said to those who were standing before him, Remove the filthy garments from him. Again, he said to him, See, I have taken your iniquity away from you and will clothe you with white robes. Then I said, Let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments while the angel, while the angel of the Lord was standing by. I love Zechariah 3 because this is a prophetic picture, if we're ever going to get one, of the cross of Jesus Christ and the power of the blood that's about to come to defeat Satan. So we have the fall in the garden. We've talked about the effects of our sinfulness. We're talking about shame. We're talking about what happens when we commit sins. And saints... We're not only talking about sins that we've committed, we're talking about sins that have been committed against us. Because the power of of shame, when it comes to our lives, it keeps us quiet. The power of shame says, shh, don't tell anyone. Keep that sin that you committed or that sin that was committed against you. Keep it in the quiet. And because of the power of shame, it opens up the door to the accuser. Satan forever lives to accuse. He lives to deceive. He's a liar. And even here in Zechariah chapter 3, he's standing before the throne of God and accusing, he's accusing, he's accusing. And what I love is the Lord stands up. I want to tell you that God can break the power of accusation off of your life. I believe that some of you, that voice... That torment, those voices that keep you up at night, those voices that remind you of your past incessantly. I believe for some of you this morning, God wants to stand up in your life and tell the devil to shut up. There is freedom 
from the accuser. There is free freedom from tormenting spirits. I believe the Lord wants to stand up in some of your lives and tell the devil to shut up and declare over your life, is this not one that I plucked from the fire? God is about to pluck a generation from the fire. And He needs an army ready in the church that's going to rebuke the devil off of them and say there is freedom from your shame. That's what they said about John Wesley. His house burned down as a child and he was miraculously saved. And John Wesley referred to himself as a brand plucked from the fire. So here in Zechariah 3, Satan's up to no good. Turn to Revelation 12. Let's see what he's up to again. You know, it's interesting. Satan begins as a little snake in Genesis. And then he becomes a dragon in the book of Revelation. How did he get so big? How did Satan go from a snake into a dragon? You want to know? We fed him. Hello. Don't worry, he's going to be cast into the lake of fire. All right. What's he up to? What's Satan doing right now? Revelation 12, we're going to begin reading in verse 7. Here's some encouragement. Here's what's going down. And there was a war in heaven, Michael and his angels waging war with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels waged war. And there were not, they were not strong enough, and there was no longer a place found for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, who is called the devil, and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ has come. For the accuser of the brethren has been thrown down, who accuses them before our God day and night. And they overcame him because of the blood of the Lamb and because of the word of our testimony. See, Satan, he comes into our life when we haven't dealt with our shame. When we're still keeping our past a secret, when we still never told anyone what's happened to us. And when that open door of shame is there, he will come and accuse. You know, the Greek word for accuse, it literally means to categorize. It means that I have that picture, I have that frame of you back in B.C. days before you got saved. Anybody ever heard of Donald Trump? So he's running for president, and then all of a sudden, what happens? They pull his past, they categorize, they've got that frame shot, and oh, by the way, this is what he said. Do you know that if Donald Trump would have had dealt with that all those years ago, he wouldn't have had that much of a problem when he ran for the president? But see, the devil, when we don't deal with our shame, 
when we don't deal with our secrets, when we don't find healing from the past, He loves to accuse and constantly bring up those things of the past. And I'm telling you, you're here this morning, many of you, because God wants to shut the door to your past and He wants you to begin to live in the present in the future. We find victory through the blood of Jesus. Now I'm going to shift gears here because I didn't come to talk about Satan. I simply came to expose his deeds. I I came here this morning to declare to you the power that's in the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus is the most powerful force in all of human history. I, I want you to imagine humanity as we have described the dilemma, the, 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 the hopelessness, the depravity. Isaiah, your iniquity has separated you from God. And here comes the devil and the devil. He's accusing us to us. He's accusing us to one another. He's accusing us to God. And quite frankly, we're guilty. I mean, He's got us. I mean, we are guilty. Our sins, the Bible says, the wages of sin is death. But then Jesus steps on the scene. Ever heard of Him? I mean, I want you to picture a courtroom. I want you to picture you and I on trial. I mean, the the list stacked up against us is unfathomable. I mean, we don't have 27 felonies. We got 27 billion felonies. I mean, since the time we were young, I've got a two-year-old. You know, you don't have to teach a two-year-old to say no. It's called the sin nature. Grandma says, oh, they're, they're little angels. I said, yeah, kind of, not really. They need deliverance. It's great. You should try it if, if you have a little kid and they ever throw a fit in a, a, a grocery store. I just start acting like I'm doing an exorcism. Come out of them right now in the name of Jesus. They'll, they'll, they'll quit their tantrum real quick. Sorry, I'm trying to have some humor in this serious morning here. You're like, man, I just came for church, brother. Just tell me God loves me and I'll go back. There's more. There's more. So we're in, we're in a courtroom and we, it, I mean, it, we're, it's stacked up against us. And we are guilty. The judge is the father. I mean, he's looking and then all of a sudden, the son of God. The one from everlasting to everlasting, the spotless Lamb of God, who came in the form of a man, who walked the earth, who was tempted just like you and I, but was found to be without sin, spot, or blemish. We're desperate, we're hopeless, we're we're scared in that moment, we're full of the shame and the fear and the contempt and the self-protection and... Jesus, He grabs 
the father's gavel and he slams it down. And he says, not guilty. He that knew no sin became sin that you and I might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. The Bible says that in Christ we are holy. We are without blemish. We are free from accusation. But see, saints, it's just not about believing it. It's about applying it to your life. It's about applying the power of the blood, the, the work of the cross at Calvary. See, it, it, it's, it's interesting to me the, the contrast between, between the work of Satan, the accuser. To me, it says he stands day and night. So what I began saying is Satan runs a 24-7 accusation room. I mean, it's always open. The, the door's always open. Accusation, deception, lies. I mean, he, he forever lives to accuse. But then there's Jesus. Then there's the power of the blood of Jesus. You know, it, it, it's interesting in the garden, the presence of God. Remember, we were born for intimacy. We were born for connection. We were born to have nothing, absolutely nothing, unlimited, unhindered intimacy. I mean, full access to God. And then we mess up in the power of the crosses. Jesus came to restore what we lost in the garden. I believe He not only came to restore, He came to give us more. We have access right now as New Covenant believers far beyond anyone who ever lived in the Old Testament. They had to, to, to sacrifice. They, they had to, to do all these things. Just to, the high priest, one time a year, they tied a, a bell on his ankle so that if he was struck down, they could pull him out from the presence of God. And yet, you and I as New Covenant believers, someone starts preaching on the blood of Jesus and we just say, yeah, it's, it's nice. Forgetting how far we've fallen. Forgetting the debt that we owe Jesus. Lord, let entitlement not grip the church any longer. Saints, we better, we better start remembering where we came from. What we were delivered from, what we were saved from, what He pulled us out of because there's a harvest that's coming that doesn't need a sleepy, dysfunctional, superficial church. They need a vulnerable, they need a real, they need a raw, they need an intimate, they need moms and dads, they need brothers and sisters who are going to bear their burdens, who are going to hear their stories and say, you know what, I, I see the shame, I see the fear, I see the self-protection, but I want to tell you there's a man named Jesus who came to save us, who came to deliver us, who came to bring freedom to our lives. And you don't have to hide anymore. You don't have to act fake anymore. Enough with the fake news. I'm done with the fake church. 
Or we can just go back to three songs and a nice message. See, a lot of people don't like a guy like me. Because I'm rocking the boat. Listen, I know it's just easy to have the dysfunctional marriage. It's just easy to just keep going on and just taking it and just going on with life. It's, you know, oh well, pornography, oh well. Just how it is, oh well. God has called us so much higher, so much, so much deeper. He's created us for love. He's created us for intimacy. He, he wants the, the fellowship of believers to be a safe place. People can share their story. I've been challenging churches everywhere. Do you know the person next to you's story? I mean, for real, not the shortened version. Praise the Lord, I was a sinner. I got saved. Amen. I mean, do, do you know their, their hurts and their aches and their pains? Do we realize that repentance, if it's really going to take full effect, is not just repenting to God, it's repenting to others? I had a guy come to me, well, I had an affair on my wife. I said sorry to God. I said, yeah, did you say sorry to Oh, no, I'll, I'll never tell her. And I've been working this stuff out. I've been doing it in this next generation. You know, all these folks that want to get married. You know, the, the, the divorce rates are just as high in the church as they are in the world. You know why? We're too quick to marry people. I've, I've, been, I've been requiring at least eight weeks of intense premarital counseling before I'm ever going to marry anyone. And you know what those eight weeks look like? I will dig up everything that's hidden. Oh, brother, we don't need to talk about it. It's under the blood of Jesus. Here's my question. If it's really in the past, why is it affecting the present and the future? The blood of Jesus died for all of this. Intimate love, relationship with Himself and with one another. When we get free from the... See, one of the things that I want to leave you with this morning as I begin to land the plane is, do you know that freedom from shame is measurable? I'm happy about that. Here's how you know that you're free from shame. Freedom from shame looks like this. You are able to tell your story of that which once shamed you, shame-free. Freedom from shame is measurable in that you would be able, if I handed you the mic, you could testify to us that you were molested at four years old and you could do it without shame.
with it. Just keep it covered. Just do the Spirit. Oh, it's, it's under the blood. I'm saved now. Why is your life a wreck? Amen. I've already dealt with that, brother. Why is your life just in one cycle? After one marriage, after another marriage, one church, after another church, one relationship. When is the cycles going to be broken? We don't have to run any longer. We don't have to be afraid any longer. Because there's power in the blood of Jesus. We've been given the gift of repentance that reconciles us back into fellowship and intimacy with God. See, Satan, he's telling us to be quiet. And I remember one time I felt like saying this. I was seeking the Lord on this. And he said this to me. He said, whatever you keep quiet, the devil gets glory for. But whatever you speak up about, Jesus gets the glory for. Saints, there are some of you in this room, you are holding keys of breakthrough for a generation. There, there are, there are, it might be mistakes. It might be failures. It, it might be things that you've done, but if you're not talking about it, if you're not putting it out there, people can't get free from it. See, if a harvest comes in these hills and there's broken and there's hurting people and they're, they're, they're dying, they're, they're hiding, what would happen if they walked into an environment where there was freedom, where there was transparency, where there was rawness, where there was realness, where there were moms and dads that were willing to operate in a love that covers a multitude of sins? What if we weren't afraid any longer to talk about who we once were because we've been delivered and set free and we're no longer that person? What in your life has happened that you're afraid to tell somebody? See, I, I literally, I, I counsel couples that are trying to get married that literally they won't say a thing. Tell us about the last relationship you were in. No. How many people have you slept with? No. No, no, no. Why? The power of shame has come to conceal the past. And if it's really in the past, why is it still affecting the present and the future? I feel an anointing in this room for the power of the blood of Jesus. I feel an anointing in this room to shut the door to the past and call you and to begin to living in the present and the future. Now, I can't speak to this, but here's a word of caution. See, Satan is not just an accuser, but he loves to work through you and I. He is the accuser of the brethren and would love to use you to accuse someone of what God has already forgiven them for. <laughs> yeah, we're going deeper for a minute. Wives, husbands. If they've truly repented, 
They've turned away from their sins. Why are you still holding it against them? Why are you still accusing them? Why are you still bringing up the past time and time again? There is freedom from the blood of Jesus. We've got to be careful. I believe that the accuser of the brethren, the accusing critical spirit, is the number one spirit behind all church splits. It's the number one spirit behind all broken relationships. The accusing criticizing. There are some people who think the gift of prophecy is accusation. There are some people who walk in churches and think that they're operating in discernment and their sole purpose for being there is digging up the sin of the pastor and people in the church. Brother, I've got the gift of discernment. No, you're partnering with the accuser of the brethren and you need deliverance. I don't know who that was for, but I bless you with that. The book of Hebrews might be the most important book of the future. I've been meditating on this power of shame and the blood of Jesus and the harvest. And, you know, the book of Hebrews is so powerful because there's a constant invitation for us as believers to draw near. There, there's this constant invitation to, to draw boldly, to, to, we, we have a high priest who is tempted in, in every way, so come boldly. Come, come before the throne. Bring your shame. Bring your sin. Bring your past and let the blood of Jesus wash you and cleanse you and set you free. See, Satan, even in the garden, he's separating us. But the blood of Jesus has come to forever close the gap between us and God. And being saved is not just I got saved and now God's put me on the back 40 and I'm going to have to work to get close to God. Listen, beloved, the power of the cross is this. We no longer work for God, we work from God. We're not working to the cross. We're working from the cross. We don't have to pay God back for our sins. We don't have to work to pay Him back for our past. We can stand with boldness and confidence before the throne of God, saying, I thank You for the blood of Jesus that has set me free from all my shame and has come to bring me liberty this morning so that I can finally tell someone what happened. And if we don't, here comes the accuser. Here comes the voices. Here comes the torment. Here comes the superficiality. I, I want to tell you tonight, I believe or this morning, it's the mercy of God that heals us from our shame. It's part of the new covenant. God says, I will be merciful to their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. Ephesians 2, 4, but God being rich in mercy because of His great love which He loved us, even while we were dead in our trespasses, He made us alive together in Christ Jesus. 
I believe that God's mercy is as rich toward us as His love is great toward us. I believe that some of you in this room have been dealing with a harassing, accusing spirit trying to attach itself to you from your past, bringing up past relationships, bringing up past sins. And I believe that God wants to deliver you this morning. Some of us have been distant from God using self-protection and God wants to bring mercy to many of us. I want to lead us this morning through four practical ways to find healing from our shame. You're taking notes. I want to say this again. Freedom from our shame is measured in our ability to talk openly about the things that once shamed us. Freedom from shame is measured in our ability to talk openly about the things that once shamed us. You just close your eyes all over this room and I don't, I don't know really anybody here that personally. I don't know your story. I don't know what you've been through. I don't know what's hiding, what's been concealed. I don't know the type of depth of relationships that you have, but there's freedom and power this morning. I want to say again, there's a harvest that's coming to the church. There are thousands and thousands of souls and they must come into a church who has found freedom from shame. They must come into a place called the gathering that's raw, that's real, that's transparent, that's vulnerable, that has is not afraid to talk openly about that which once shamed them. So if you're here this morning and you want to start this journey from finding healing for your shame, first of all, we have to believe that God forgives us. So as we're here this morning, I just... I want to lead us in a prayer. I want to speak the word over you that God forgives you of your sin. There are some of you that have done things to other people. You have committed sins against other people. God wants you to know, I forgive you because of my son. So, Lord, all over this room, I just pray for every heart, every mind, that you would bring freedom and forgiveness for any sins that we've committed that are bringing shame to our lives right now. We thank you that the power of the blood of Jesus is here this morning to free us from the past. freedom from the guilt. I'm hearing the Lord say there are some parents in this room. You have shame right now over the choices of your children. Lord, we thank You that there's forgiveness for parents in this room. 
over where their children have ended up. Lord, I just free parents in this room from the power of shame and guilt. Lord says that there's freedom. Some of you have been experiencing shame from relationships in the past that you knew you weren't supposed to be in. God says that there's forgiveness for you. I forgive you, says God. Holy Spirit, would you wash us? Come on, it's okay. This is a safe place. I want to encourage you to to be as vulnerable and transparent as you can. Fight that religious spirit that loves to mask and hide and act like everything's okay when it's not. God, we thank You for the power of forgiveness. Thank You that burdens are being lifted. Lord, we thank You that even as You've forgiven us, here's step two, we forgive others. There are some people in here you've been sexually abused. Some of us were verbally abused. Sins committed against us. I want to tell you that there's power in the blood of Jesus to forgive those who committed sins against you. We forgive because He has forgiven us. God, I thank You for the power of Your blood that's here this morning to forgive those who trespassed against us, who violated us, who hurt us. God, we release them to You right now in Jesus' name. Lord, I thank You that there's coming a day when You will make all things right. I sense that there are some of us in here, you are divorced and you need to forgive your ex-husband or wife. Lord, we say no to bitterness. We say no to unforgiveness. We shut every door to the accuser and the liar right now in Jesus' name. I'm telling you, there's deliverance that's here this morning. God, we thank You that You forgive us. We thank You for the power that we have to forgive others. Sit before him another another thirty seconds.
I call up what's been stuffed down. I call down, I call up what's been forgotten because of the pain and the hurt and the suffering. Feel equals deal equals heal. I command numbness to come off you. It's just easier not to feel the pain. It's just easier to act like it never happened. It's just easier to act healed when you're not. There's emotional healing being restored in this place. Come on, what you hide, Satan gets the glory for. You can't get free unless you put it into the light. While we were yet sinners, you died for us. Thank you that there's healing from our shame. Thank you that there's forgiveness of sins for our lives. And Lord, we thank you for the power to forgive others. To not hold their sins against them any longer. Let them go, says the Lord. Forgiveness is not for them, it's for you. If you don't forgive, you're imprisoning yourself to them forever. Release them to me, says God. God forgives us. We forgive others. Third and finally, we forgive ourselves. God, I thank you that there's power this morning in forgiving ourselves. It's not your fault. someone in here that was sexually abused and you've been blaming yourself all these years the Lord says it's not your fault forgive yourself There's someone in here you've been blaming yourself for the death of someone God says there's freedom to forgive yourself you did not cause them to die. They made their own decisions. I free you this morning, says God. Power and forgiveness. Forgive yourself. Forgive yourself. Is anything, anyone, forgive yourself. Finally, I want to pray over the marriages in this room. I want to 
want to pray over the relationships in this room. I want to pray for fresh transparency and vulnerability. I believe that even this week, some of you are going to tell your spouse things that they've never heard and you've never told a soul. Maybe some of you need to meet with Pastor David and talk with him. And there's freedom that comes with confession. You don't have to hide. You don't have to conceal. You don't have to protect. Father, I thank you for this morning. Would you stand with me, saints? Father, I thank you for this gathering of believers. God, my sincere prayer for the gathering is, Lord, would you make this a safe place? God, would you make this house a safe place for a lost and dying generation? Father, let this be a place where there's no gossip. Let this be a place where there's no slander or accusation. Father, let this be a house of love. Let this be a house of mercy. Let this be a house of forgiveness. Let this be a house of rock-solid marriages. Lord, let this be a house of vulnerability. Let this be a house of transparency. Let this be a house of testimony after testimony after testimony. God, I pray for an anointing for deep love and relationship here. Both with God and one another. Saints, I want to encourage you. It starts with you. You don't have to look at the pastors or the staff. It starts with us. Just take 30 seconds, everyone in your own way. I just want you to thank the Lord for this morning. Thank the work of the Holy Spirit. These kinds of messages, it's the beginning of something. It's not a quick altar call and you get a prophecy and you're healed. This is a work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So Lord, we want to thank you. We want to thank you for caring for our hearts. We want to thank you that you are a great physician. We want to thank you that you care far more than church attendance and offering. Lord, I thank you that you died for every part of us. Lord, heal marriages today. Restore relationships today. God, bring revival to this city. God, bring revival to these hills. I just feel like the Lord is saying there's going to be a revival of, of lost souls. But I just prophesied to you there's about to be a revival of marriages. There's about to be a revival of love and relationship. I'm just getting a picture of, of Bob Jones even now. Just saying uh, what he always said, did you learn how to love?
God's working on you, I want to encourage you just to linger. Just to let it out. To let God work on you. To massage your heart. But we thank you for the work that you started today. But we thank you for the, the shepherds after your own heart. Pastor David, I just hear God saying, thank you for being a faithful shepherd to my people. Thank you for caring. Thank you for nurturing. Just hear God saying, I love your caring heart. I've given you the heart of a shepherd. I've called you as a man after my own heart. And I'll send the broken, I'll send the hurting. I'll send the diseased here and they will find a safe place. Just hear God saying, David, I'm going to send you a revival of love and relationship. I'm going to send you a revival of deep friendships. I'm going to send you a revival of vulnerability and trust again. Your heart is safe with me. I know you. I know your motives. I know your intentions. And they are pure, says God. Men may accuse. They may criticize. But I know your heart. And I know your character. And I approve of it, says God. starting something in this house says God it's a day of new beginnings new relationships new trust I hear the laughter of children I hear the laughter of older saints the Lord says get ready you call this church home are you hearing me God says get ready the depth that you'll go deeper in me to that degree I'll send the harvest I want you to really weigh this before the Lord I want you to judge this prophecy but I believe the Lord is saying to the gathering to the depth to the degree that you give yourselves to love and relationship in this community to that degree I will send a harvest if you want to go deep and deep and deep, I'll send many and many and many. If you want to go shallow, if you want to go superficial, I'll send you few. God, we say yes. We say yes. I thank you for this opportunity. I thank you for this house and I bless them. I thank you for a safe place in the earth for the harvest to come. In the name of Jesus, let's give God a clap offering this morning.